And today we have a, a special guest for you all. He is a leader, a COO of a multi-billion dollar international company that specializes in global logistics. Welcome to the show today, Paul. How you doing? I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, thanks for showing up. You're the first guest. The most successful individual we've ever had. Don't downplay it. <laughs> this is uh, groundbreaking stuff, I'm sure. Uh, for the podcast out there, uh, his name's Paul, but he also goes by P-Dubs as well, so... Keep that in mind, guys. Times. <laughs> we, uh, we got an interesting podcast for you guys today. Uh, a little bit of serious talk, a little bit of, uh, I don't know, mind-blowing, investigative, whatnot, and then just some regular tomfoolery. Tomfoolery, that's, uh, we should just call it tray foolery at this <laughs> point, because that's, that's really what I uh, add to the table. Uh, so before we begin, why don't we go around and uh, let's talk about what we're all drinking, what we all brought to the table today. So uh, I'm just go with the classic Blue Moon. Nothing special. Tastes good. What about, what about you, Trey? What are you drinking? Wow. I actually can't even pronounce this beer. Um, Val Dio uh, looked interesting. Uh, it was 9%, so that's really what sold me on I think it's a Belgian beer, to be honest with you. Oh, I couldn't even tell you. Yeah, it is Belgian. Uh, and I am actually not a fan of it at all, but it's still 9%, and that's really all that matters. <laughs> the percent. I think it'll matter it, right? more in about 10 or 15 minutes uh, <laughs> if you can get through it. <laughs> we'll see. Trey likes to get a little sloppy sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> we'll find what out what happens. What about you, Paul? What are you drinking? I'm I'm drinking straight from England. This is a pale ale. It's called Adam's Ghost Ship. It's one of my uh, absolute favorite beers. It's a fantastic pale ale. A lot of citrus punch to it. I, I latched onto it uh, a couple years ago, and pre- I, I have a couple uh, every now and then. Actually, more often than now and then, um, because it's just so darn uh, good. Uh, really smooth. A lot of uh, hoppy flavor. Great smell and great taste. They actually sell mini keg of that on uh, Amazon. I saw that. I was looking up like different beer and I was like, yeah, mini keg. So, you know, if you're ever just craving some UK beer, the little go-to on the keg. Yeah, this this along with um, Green King's Abbott Ale, these are some of my uh, favorites from England. So I take it you're more of a uh, ale guy over lager. I prefer ales, whether it's a straight ale, a pale ale, IPA, APAs, you, you know, if, if there's hops in the flavor, then I prefer that. Um, I can drink a lager. They're okay. Uh, I know people like them. That, that's fine. Pilsner's a lot, same thing. They're, they're okay to me, uh, but I prefer the the rich, rich flavor of an ale. Yeah, I'm with Paul on that one. Yeah. yeah. Being from the West Coast, they have some of the best IPAs. So that's when I worked in like a restaurant slash pub. That was the go-to. I, I wouldn't touch the lager. I think Pilsner might be the worst beer type I've ever had out of all of them. But if it's free, I will drink it. So if it's free, I will drink it. I don't think there's, you know, those are solid words right there. You can't, you can't find a much generation. better. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah, I actually uh, coined a phrase once in college and I, that's where to live by. The best type of alcohol is the free kind. So... <laughs> That sounds about right. <laughs> so Sarah, Sierra Nevada, since you mentioned you were on the, from the West Coast, Sierra Nevada was my first pale ale, and I couldn't stand it. I, I thought it was awful. And then tastes change over time, and um, I, I go back to it now uh, as, as a standard because it, it really is actually a lot really delicious. But when I was younger, my taste just weren't weren't uh, hadn't grown enough. No, no, it was too pungent. <laughs> I was more of a stone IPA guy. Stone IPA. 
Yeah, the best on tap, man. They were pretty good. Man, my first beer was, uh, for some reason, my dad liked Samuel Adams, which I still don't understand why, because it was just terrible. Absolutely terrible. The most bitter, flavorless, like, disgusting thing I could have ever had. Are you from but, uh, the? Are you from that area? The East Coast? No, I'm, <laughs> I'm originally from California. Huh, interesting. But, my, I mean, my dad kind of moved around a lot. But, okay. Um, uh, yeah, so this is going to be interesting to see as we get more guests on and see what their beer and drink preferences are to see if maybe we're going to see a trend among leaders <laughs> uh yeah maybe i don't know i'm so some of these british beers they're they're harder to find in the u.s you know uh but like a sierra nevada and stony ip i know you can find those in england it's also interesting as, as i've traveled um i noticed that beers that can sometimes get snubbed back home like Budweiser are hugely popular in, in Europe. Um, they're served on tap in, in places and, and vice versa. Um, you could find, of course, Heineken and Stella that's hugely popular in America. And sometimes I, I, I want to think it's just trying something that's not from where you're at seems like that's somehow better but i i had a question there because you said uh you know you think that it'd be better because you're not from there what country do you think produces the best beer in in your wisdom and your travels because i mean in my travels across the land over over the hills and through the, the beer <laughs> forests of europe the hot valleys <laughs> all right so i've had beer in japan and germany and netherlands and belgium and france and um all over America. Alaska has uh, what's called an Alaskan Amber. It's wonderfully rich beer. Um, if you go into uh, Oklahoma, one of my favorite beers there is a Coop uh, DNR. Uh, they also make a great pale ale, although it's um, light on the alcohol trace, so that might not be for you. Um, <laughs> in Vermont, there's, of course, Hetty Topper. Unfortunately, I've never been to California. I've been to California. I haven't been able to have a, a Russian River beer yet, and and that's on my list of, of, of beers to try. So, long story short, there's great beers from all over the place, and I've got a nice little app and list of all the beers I've tried, and um, I think that uh, I think I think generally speaking, there's great beers everywhere. Uh, whether it's a pale ale or a lager, I think, uh, whether in, in even large companies try and produce great beers and then startups try to create, produce great beers too. And you got to find what you like and, uh, but don't be afraid to try all the different varieties that are out there and different flavor profiles. That was a perfect answer for that. It, it was an was. Uh, it was, answer it was without an answer. <laughs> it was, We're it mesmerized. Was, it was like the, the perfect, like politician answer of answering a question yeah. without actually answering the question yeah. right i'm, I'm not actually trying to do that <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's so ingrained right so i wonder if that has yeah. something to do with with leadership styles in general so with you being such a world traveler right broadening your horizons to an extent what have you found to be the best i guess uh leadership styles or motivational traits right well okay let, let's talk cultural differences first and, and if i do that first then then i can go to the area where i where i find um that leadership kind of style that is is something that i i latch on to or i look into look at other people and and i'll see if, if they've got it and, and whether or not that followership is gonna is gonna come culturally 
different regions, different cultures, West, East, you, you know, different varieties of people, backgrounds, um, ethnicities, culture again, leadership manifests itself differently. And what might seem uh, okay to do uh, in Europe, uh, in America, um, in Africa, in, in Asia, you know, each one is going to have a variety of what might work really well. It would would fail uh, completely in a different in a different region. So you, you have to adapt to that, and you have to be respectful uh, when you're uh, kind of in a leadership position to observe first, uh, and and then take your cues off of the environment, and then study up ahead ahead of time if you're going to go into a meeting or meet with people or spend some time traveling, even if you're just traveling for vacation. You know how you can. Excuse me, how you communicate with people so that you don't offend um, is always important. But now to the direct question, the thing that I look for um, in a leader is there's three things, maybe four, maybe six, uh, but definitely three. The first is, um, do they have a vision of where they want to go? They have a vision and they can articulate it. And it's where I'm interested in going to, whether that's a small thing or a big thing. Um, then, okay, now, now I can get on board because that sounds great. It sounds exciting. Uh, I, I can believe in it. I, I can jump on board. So they, they got to have a vision. Uh, and then they have to be, and they have to be inspiring. Uh, they have to have an inspiring style. And I think sometimes people would say that's, you know, type A personality. And I, I don't necessarily agree. You can have an uh, you can inspire people without being uh, so in, in in everybody's face and um, just kind of trying to take over all the time. So there's more ways to be inspiring instead of being like very charismatic and shouting, right? Y- yeah. So I'm sorry, say that again. <laughs> so you, you were saying that, you know, a lot of people think that being inspirational is very a type A personality of, of you know, that very, you, you think uh, inspirational, some people think uh, very charismatic you know, hooting and hollering, jumping around on stage, getting, you know, getting the juices flowing. So I, uh, let's, let's hold on to that first. Let's, let's talk about that a little bit more for a moment. Um, I worked for somebody, his name is Jason and, and he talked about the difference in that kind of charisma, uh, outgoing personality, kind of cult of personality that people can, um, kind of fall under, uh, their spell versus someone that's inspiring. And, and he would talk about, um, how you can really connect with somebody is if you, if you can get to their emotional side, um, if whatever the subject is, maybe the subject is, um, you know, taking care of, um, maybe it's a task or a job that you're on, or maybe it's, um, help, helping a group of people or helping, um, you know, working on a societal issue. If you can get into the emotional aspect of whatever it is that you're after to connect with somebody, then you, then you really hook, um, because it's not as superficial. And sometimes charisma can be superficial, but not, but not always. You know, there's charismatic people who are also inspiring. You can be charismatic without also inspiring someone. Um, but what I was going to get to then really at the end of those two things is the third, for me, is competence. Um, <laughs> if you don't have competence in what you're talking about, uh, in the subject, in the vision that you set, but you it, it can't be a paper tiger. It has to be built on a foundation. And... Um, 
Uh, when I, I look at a leader, they can have a great vision and, and that can get me get me moving. Uh, they can be inspiring and that, and that can kind of uh, really draw me into it and, and get me focused. Um, but, but if they lack competence or if the organization lacks competence, everything will crumble from there. Um, conversely, I can get on board with a leader who has competence, uh, but maybe isn't as inspiring or isn't or, or struggles with uh, with the vision because uh, because those are things I can usually help out with. It's hard to help somebody else gain competence. I mean, you can you can share knowledge and, and teach and help help them grow. But we're talking about the leader. <laughs> the leader is supposed to be the one I'm supposed to be following them if they don't have the competence. Um then it then it becomes harder for me not not always uh, but it becomes harder to to say that you know they're the right person for the role when, when really they might not know what they're talking about so so as as a as a leader yourself uh, the the question that comes to my mind is was there ever a time when you thought of yourself as maybe not not up to par like maybe you thought you weren't being the best leader you could be for the people underneath you um i've worked with some i've had some 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 bosses over time um, that would talk about what you're getting at there and it's like a little bit of self-doubt right confidence sometimes can make up for competence is 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 the discussion point uh that i've had with, with my bosses <laughs> so they'll they'll take competent they'll take confidence sometimes over competence because um they'd rather have somebody who gets out and goes and gets moving and gets things done even if it's only 80 percent right versus somebody who suffers from trying to find the perfect answer all the time trying to get all the information trying to get everything lined up and is afraid to kind of move out and make a decision um so um so but your question is about me have i i've had a couple times in 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 my in my background it's not a lot but these are very uh big 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 projects and so big uh there were times where i had some doubt of whether or not i could pull it off and what what ends up happening is i spend about an hour or two or even half a day going how am i ever going to get through this and then i start breaking it up into the bites and pieces talking to um confidants and then it's not more than half a day and and, and i figured out how it can be solved and I, I generally generally believe that um most everything can be solved um that that usually we're not charting new new ground um and, and that many things have already been done so if it can be done once it can certainly be done again i mean i know later in the show we're going to talk about space right i mean in a way uh sure space is new but venturing out beyond your small area has been done for generations thousands of years so we're not going to be the first ones to explore beyond where we can see you know so, so what would you say would you say it's so safe to say that you can't grow without being uncomfortable so to speak right because you're stepping outside of your comfort zone is what you're saying you know exploring what's outside your comfort zone uh yeah absolutely um i talked to somebody the other day about this common phrase iron iron sharpens iron um football teams sports teams coaches want to put their players up against the toughest team never pass up an opportunity to do something that's difficult just because it's difficult, you you learn and grow through those challenges. You know, uh, the turmoil and, 
and the stress um, is, is what makes you capable of handling greater turmoil and stress when, when things are really difficult. So I always enjoy taking on new new opportunities, especially if, it, if it's something that um, doesn't seem like maybe it can be done. Well, then that's, you know, challenge accepted, right? So let's go after it and see if we can get it done. So with the whole challenge thing, I completely respect that. Um, for you fans out there, if you don't know, I've, uh, I have male pattern baldness, all right? And I try to fight it for a very long time in my life. I just deal with it now. It's a part of me. And I swear, uh, the place that I work at, we were in charge of developing a, a tracking software, if you will, or a tracking mechanism for COVID. And I swear they kept asking me for a different uh, formula to use on this. And I don't think I lost more hair in my life than in the span of that one month of creating a different Excel chart that calculates this formula. Like That's the only time in my life that I've ever been like, oh my God. Like, I am so stressed out right now. But, uh, like you're saying, like... Is that why you shave your head now? I shave my head because <laughs> it's a weird thing. <laughs> yes. Yes. For you people out there, hey, bald is beautiful, okay? But... If he lets his hair grow and he starts looking like a Dalmatian. Then it, it... Well, actually, that's not true. That's extremely rude. You should you should check yourself right at this point, okay? But if you shave it, you don't look as bald, but you let it grow out and it just looks bad. It just looks bad. And, uh, honestly... I cut my own hair now. I just had to accept it. So I'm not about to be about that Rogaine life every day forever. Like that doesn't sound fun. Like I'm already like, there's only a few things I do every day. Uh, eat food, brush my teeth, floss most times. I'd say five days out of the week. That's pretty good actually for an yeah. adult male. Yeah. And, and then, you know, and then the use restroom facilities. That's, that's it. I'm not about to put stuff in my hair every day. That's just, and then let it sit for like 10 minutes. No, no nobody's got time for that. You doing the right thing except uh bald is beautiful and just roll with it you want to know the stages of baldness i'll I'll tell you this is what happens right so you start losing your hair you would know i would i would (laughs) let's save that for another episode uh paul whoa what's your favorite movie um uh, one of one of my favorite is interstellar um christopher nolan film favorite movie one of my favorite movies christopher nolan one of my favorite directors I'm not getting a lot from you out of that one, Trey. It seems like you're uh, are you okay. on the fence or what's so, going on there? I, I can tell you're like, eh. like it's a favorite. Christopher Nolan to me, I, I don't I I just don't really get it. I'm not a I I think Batman <laughs> this is so controversial yet so brave to say. Uh, I think Batman is a waste of a superhero. I don't understand how he is a superhero. Uh, I did not like it's the Dark Knight. Fighter. Yeah, I did not like the Dark Knight because I watched it on a TV that was too dark. I had no idea what was going on for the entire two hours that the movie was going on. So Interstellar came out. And, uh, well, actually, no, uh, Interstellar came out and I, I didn't watch it because someone ruined the ending for me. Oh, really? Yeah, it was actually my sister. The thing that I always wondered with Interstellar, right? They're in that facility, right? His spoilers, by the way, for whoever hasn't seen it. If you haven't seen it, it's been out forever. I mean, that's your own fault. Uh, they're in that, that cement facility, right? Right. And, like his daughter and everything and how they're talking about like getting that thing to lift off the ground. I want to see like the design of the whole facility and rocket and know how it got off the ground like i could care less of the fact that matthew mcconaughey went into a, a black hole and you know was defying physics and space time i just i want to know how they got this big hunk of what looked like a cement building to lift oh, off from I the earth you. and go into space you know i don't have an answer <laughs> i don't know that's not important the more don't important worry about part, that part is the fact that you know he's standing on a, a planet that's really close to a black hole and every minute is like 200 fucking years of earth time 
time. Like that's crazy to me, by the way, too. Yeah, that 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 part that is kind of crazy, and I don't understand. Um, way outside my field of <laughs> remote remote capability to fathom. He did make uh, Memento. I did like that movie, so I guess I do like one of his films. Yeah, but uh, we could talk about that some other time. So segueing into space, right? So this the, the cement craft lifting up Interstellar. You know, great kind of mind boggling movies. It's out there in terms of what can happen. But, right, it's been picking up in recent news. Yep. We're getting closer to the talk of uh, launches, putting the man back on the moon, right? That's the first step is setting up kind of like a halfway point. You know, you get to the moon, then you launch from there to go to Mars, and that's the whole colony, right? So my whole thing on this is, and uh, Paul, this is uh, aimed at both you and, and Trey to chime in on, of what do you think would be in place to hold such a colony accountable for doing what, uh, like, Earth, I guess if the colony comes from mainly is launched from the U.S. or whatever, like the U.S. wants them to do, right? Because when they're on Mars, there's nothing that anybody from Earth can do. You know, if there is a serial killer that went up with the colony, there's nothing but the people in the colony to stop the serial killer, right? You know, like like what kind of, how do you keep a colony that is a whole, you know, planet or so away in check, right? Oh, uh, probably sanctions as in food to survive. Right, but then that becomes an ethical issue, right? Like a human rights. Not violation. really. They're we still st- humans. We, put, we like, still do that. We still do that on Earth. So is it that big of a deal? I'm saying it's a big deal. I'm not saying it's it's not a, uh, a big deal. I'm just saying, but we still sanction other countries here. They're like, oh, we're going to uh, attack the U.S. We still do that. So if, if they're saying essentially the same thing that, you know, like, you can't control us, whatever, like, we're our own thing. And uh, they, I guess, in their mind, they would have had to build a, a thought process that they're su- succeeding, succeeding, not succeeding. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't really think you can grow crops on the moon. I haven't been yet, but I plan to next year, so who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think the moon is the is the goal. I think the moon's probably, my reading and understanding is the moon probably does a couple things. It's A, you can stage out of, off the moon. Uh, B, you can slingshot from around the moon to get you uh, to where you need to go. <clears throat> but, but it's really the red planet is where at least it seems like science scientists and the smart people are are pinning hopes but then you gotta you gotta be able to you gotta be able to breathe the air because <laughs> um, you can't transport enough oxygen up there to, to sustain colony of any size at least I, I think um, and, and I my reading is that the, there's some possibilities in, in, in doing that into in making the air breathable uh, and involves warming uh, the planet and how they're gonna go about warming the planet that I don't know but it also takes some time uh, I don't think we'll be here for it. <laughs> so the Mar the Mars rover that's currently on Mars, right? That they that just landed there, right? They're going around. I guess there is a scientific device on board that actually produced its own oxygen. So I like I saw that as foreshadowing of like, okay, they're testing out, you know, this technology on Mars because they're gonna use it, right? As as whatever their oxygen generator. Going back to the uh the law and order side of what Trey was saying is what kind of stood out to me of what you said is the fact that they have to have that sense of that you know they're succeeding right so like that means they have something over or something self-sustaining over the government supplying them uh supplies like i guess i'm wondering if you know what what would that look like what could they possibly discover
discover or find on Mars that would be of such value to hold over Earth? Well, value is, yeah, I guess it's an intrinsic thing. I guess it would have had to find or found something that has value, I'd say, in more of a, a technological aspect. Maybe they have something that you can compute faster, you can make a cheaper processor, stuff like that. That's the only thing I can physically see them doing. Or maybe, you know, something that's harder than uh, diamond, something like that. I think that there's already been like a comet or something that hit the earth that had a substance uh, stronger than diamonds. So it'd have to be something like that. But at the same time, if they had that, that would that would crash a lot of the uh, economy here. But uh, what would be like the, the purpose of mining that? You know, that whole industry is going to tank if they can just bring it in. So you're going to see uh, economic collapse. And so I think that's probably what they would think is uh, gives them power. So you're, you're thinking like maybe precious mineral deposits or something on Mars? That's the only thing I could think out there that's in space. What about you, Paul? What do you think? Well, so, um, I'm sorry, Trey. I don't, I, I understand what you're saying. Um, so imagine that there, there's some type of mineral on Mars that benefits us here. Maybe, maybe we can make faster semiconductors, uh, lighter materials to then go in space or, or, you know, you can take a material, break it down and create energy from it to be able to lift that, uh, rocket, you know, that cement space station up, you know, uh, from interstellar and, and, and power, uh, engines or what have you, uh, but you still got to get it. And so the resources that are required to go get that material, then bring it down here and then process it into something that's usable, uh, that won't be easy and cheap enough. It's not going to be uh, free diamonds for everybody. You know what I mean? So the people and the, the organizations are able to go get it. Um, they're not going to just bring down enough where everybody suddenly has uh, all of their riches. So um, I think the economy would do just fine with them. But I also think by the time we get to the point... So you have to the concept of like, you know, you're in a... a three-dimensional space where there's no up or down or left or right you you know you're kind of turning wherever which way you want to yeah it's a different different style of combat i guess once private companies can do it i think you're going to be real close to private individuals being able to to do it and you might see essentially you might see space pirates and privateers and similar to what you know we had when or even still to this day pirating uh on the open seas because that becomes an opportunity for like i said privateers to explore and gain their own riches i'm all about space pirates as anybody who listened to the first episode would know you know there's this disney movie out there called treasure planet and it's basically space pirates all about it uh, I know we've been talking a lot about some serious things, so I'm going to hand it over to uh, to Trey to introduce some... Uh... <laughs> some Trey foolery. Trey foolery and skullduggery. <laughs> Real quick, this has nothing to do with what's going on. This is a question for you, Devin, and you, Paul, other, otherwise known as P-Dubs. Uh, if you could choose one president that isn't alive to have a beer with, who would it be? I'll let Devin, if Devin wants to go first... One president who isn't alive to have a beer with. Theodore Roosevelt. I Yeah, I think Teddy would be a, uh, a hoot, you know, to have, have a beer with. He seems like he's like a, a real party animal. Yeah, he seems like a tank, to be honest. I feel like he, you know, he'd be a couple pints in. 
just he'd be that that president that's egging you to do some like crazy stuff, right? Yeah. Um, so that's a good one. How about Ulysses S. Grant? Um, and and speaking of uh, beer, I think whiskey was more of his thing, as my my reading has taught me. He was more of a whiskey yeah. guy. That sounds like the guy I like to party. For myself, uh, remember, it has nothing to do with the political uh, ideology. Uh, I've heard crazy things about the parties Andrew Jackson threw, like to the point where he would fist fight people in the White House lawn, not having a beer with them, but having a beer around him. It would seem like you're just like, what is going on? This is the president out here fighting people. So, so back to that the earlier leadership question. Uh, if your president is, uh, you know, put, puts on the gloves, or for that matter, doesn't bother with the gloves, it sounds like somebody's got who's competent in his ability to uh, take control of the situation. <laughs> yeah. so, so it's either out of fear or respect that you're gonna follow that guy. Would you rather be have the this is superpowers? Would you have, rather have the superpower of invisibility or fly? I would do flight. Well, what speed are we talking about here? Pedestrian speed, or do you or can you pick up some some miles per hour here? Let's say seventy miles per hour. Seventy, my car goes that, um, but it not in a straight line. Yeah. Not in a straight line. Yeah, exactly. As the crow flies. As the crow flies, yeah. Invisible? Are you always invisible? Or you can turn it on and off. No, you have the you have the ability to just switch it on, switch it off. Just like flying, you're not always flying. I guess I'll take flight. Flight, For the, okay, for the simple reason that uh, it's a little easier to get where you need to go. Yeah, I see more practicality in flight versus, like, invisibility. Yeah, that, that sounds like you're up to no good. Uh, I think I want to go to the Vatican figure out what's there. Okay, I'm the odd one out here. All right. <laughs> <laughs> How are you going to get there? You can't fly. <laughs> <laughs> this one is the final question. And this is one that uh, I think is pretty difficult. Would you rather stub your toe every day or receive a paper cut every day? Ooh. Ooh. Where's the paper cut? You're just receiving it on your hands, I would right, imagine. Right in between. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. I would say like, yeah. Yeah, right there in between your finger. <sighs> Is it the same toe over and over again, or I get 10 days in between each? Uh... Let's just say that it's going to be, it's a it's, it's it's a big toe every time. Oh, man. Every time it's a big toe, even though one of the worst stubs I had was actually a pinky toe, which is surprising. Do you ever get seriously injured from the stubbing? Or is it kind of like a Groundhog Day scenario? It's the same thing to where when you stub your toe and you're like, oh, you sit down. I'm and, taking the stubbed know. toe. Because I think, uh, especially if you do it at night, in the morning, you still go for a jog. I'm actually in a stub toe campaign as well, just because I feel like that pain is worse, but it's it's immediate and then it disperses. Yeah, it does. You're not all day with this paper cut, washing your hands, getting a little salt or lemon juice in there or... You know, nowadays with COVID, you got to, you know, use um, hand sanitizer everywhere you go. Getting that alcohol in there, no way. So I think this would be also a a great uh, question for our listeners as we wrap up our show here. So would you rather, what was it, uh, stub your toe every day or receive a paper cut every day? Let us know. Hit us up on our, uh, our Twitter, our Facebook 
Instagram, TikTok, uh, what what have you. Hit us up and let us know your answer. Uh, we'll be interested. We'll, uh, we'll talk about it at the beginning of the next episode. Paul, thanks again for joining us on this show. It was wonderful. Yeah, had a great, great insight. It was brilliant. We should do this again. Uh, anything, last closing remarks you'd like to say to all our listeners out there? Uh, if you get a chance, definitely pick up a ghost ship from Adnam's uh, brewery. Well, you're already here. Uh, go ahead and try a ghost ship if you already have it. And uh, we'll see you next episode. Hey, maybe we might get sponsored by them, so uh, be on the lookout for that. <laughs> <laughs>